Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. It is my pleasure to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm show R&B singers, keyboardists, and composers, Kevin Yarbrough and Elisa Peoples, famously known as the duo Yarbrough and Peoples. All four of their early 1980s albums reached the top 25 of the R&B chart with the debut called The Two of Us hitting number one. Those records featured seven top 20 R&B hit singles, including a pair of dance floor ready chart toppers in Don't Stop the Music and Don't Waste Your Time. Other big hits included Heartbeats, Guilty, and I Wouldn't Lie. In more recent years, the duo has appeared in theater productions and continues to delight audiences on the concert circuit. It's so great to have you both. How are you? Thank hey, you. It's glad you. to be here, and we are fantastic. Can we carry you for that introduction? Oh, my God, that was fantastic. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm just trying to do you justice, you know. <laughs> Thank you so much. A pleasure. Where are you guys today? We're in Dallas, Texas at home, and uh, this was one of our slump days. We were hanging, hanging out, so... Um, we're in Dallas, but we're, we're... It happens to be one of those days when we don't have to run every every moment of the day. A relax. We're able to actually sit down for a second and say, Phew. And it's a little rain happening, you know. And that's a blessing. It's been very hot in Dallas, Texas. And now we're getting a break, and so nobody knows what to do with themselves. We're just jumping for joy. It just so happens I was out there earlier this week for a trade show. Oh, um, really? at the convention center uh, by the Omni Hotel over there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I was glad because I know a few days before it was like 108 and crazy kind yeah. of weather. So, Yes, it was. It was. This was an exceptionally hot year uh, here in Dallas. It was, it was amazing. I didn't know if we were, a lot of people were going to get through it, but we did. We made it through it. But, you know, Dallas being the melting pot, 
that it has become, <laughs> you know, where everybody in Dallas is not from Dallas, you know, they're not from here. So they go, that's hot. <laughs> <laughs> but you find the real Texans. People that have been here, they're not they're not moved this as much. This thing. It's, a hot, it's another it's hot, hot one. But folks from not here, oh, my God, it's hot today. It's hot. You guys haven't seen it. <laughs> Yeah, you guys are used to it, I guess. You know, yeah. I have to ask you. It's off topic, but I have to ask: uh, Are you guys Cowboys fans? Are we what? Dallas Cowboys fans? Absolutely. Because I'm a lifelong. I don't know if you can see back there, but I have uh, some Cowboys stuff back over yeah, there. Yeah. You. All right, then that means you're a Cowboys. Even more what? so. We love you even more. Yep. Lifelong, so I enjoyed that Once game. You're the other night. Once you're in, you're in. You know, I'm coming out. Of it. Yep, I go back to uh, you know the Tom Landry, Roger Staubach days. So yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> I know that's, that's amazing. That's whose jersey I wear when I. Wear yeah, my he has an in a, an original jersey from Starbucks. You know, and uh, oh, wow, when I go places, that's where I wear. It. He wears it and brags on it. <laughs> People always want to buy it. He said, no, you can't have this one. Not there's, a, there's an autographed Roger Staubach uh, thing framed back there. So, yeah. Look at you. <laughs> Look at so, you. That's fabulous. Yeah, all right. Excellent. So, cool. Well, so speaking of Dallas and, and, and coming from there and all that, can you tell the folks a little bit about, you know, how, how you came up in, in life and, you know, what drew you to music? No, I need to go for that one. Okay. Growing up um, in a musical household, both of us were in musical households separate. Um, his his dad was like a lead singer in the choir, and his mom sang as well and played the piano. Um, my mom and dad played the piano and both sang, and I'm the youngest girl. Um, so all my sisters and brothers played, so it was kind of inevitable for me to uh, to learn uh, how to play music. And it was just an amazing thing growing up in a, in a musical household. There was always joy. There was always laughter, even in the midst of, of, of you know, things that we were going through, uh, the lack of money sometimes. And whatever we were going through, we sang our way through it. So it became a staple of, of how we, uh, we deal with life. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> you you uh, I co sign on that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Most definitely. I I mean, I'm sitting here listening and I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, so did you have any formal musical training along the way? And uh, who are some of your, your musical idols? Formally training? Yes, we both took me. That's how we met was taking music together. Yeah. Um, and so we started out taking music and then you go through school and you're taking music classes and whatever. You go to college and go you take the- your more music classes. Um, that's about how as far as we go. Both of us have doctor's degrees. Um, and um, it's just a matter of studying and making sure that our craft came before a whole lot of other things and, and staying and pushing forward. Pushing forward. 
no matter what, you keep pushing. And who are a couple of your biggest influences early on musically? Ooh, me first. My my absolute idol is Gladys Knight. Um, I've always loved Gladys Knight as a female singer. Um, we didn't get to hear a lot. I didn't in my family. We didn't get to hear a lot of R&B music or blues because my family was very church oriented. And you just didn't have that music prominent in your household. So when I would go to school or when I was riding in my daddy's truck with him, he would play a good old KKDA and they were always gonna put some Gladys Knight on or some Stevie Wonder. And so we had a chance, I had a chance um, to hear both of them and they became very, very instrumental in my Gladys is so full of soul until it's amazing. And she would pull things out of me. And so I love her. Well, you sort of dipped in my bowl a little bit. Oh, Lord. You know? <laughs> uh, Stevie Wonder, Mr. Magical, Mr. Majestical, Mr. Everything. Now you know how I feel. I mean, Stevie Wonder was my... Was my he was so amazing, so amazing. And both of us were in love with Donny Hathaway yeah, as well. Donny Hathaway as well. There have been there have been some along the way, you know, because I can't get Charlie Wilson. And uh, that's part of our story, you know, is Charlie Wilson. But yes, both of us love Charlie Wilson. You he know, is an, he's a he's a, an amazing singer and entertainer. Yeah, and his longevity has been very impressive the way he's come back, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, he's had like a, a rejuvenation and a whole second uh, career after the Gap Band. Yes, um, he yeah. did. And yeah. what a blessing. But that was, he was our, our um, he helped us to get started. He was the one that introduced us to Lonnie Simmons. to um, And Lonnie told Kevin and myself, after he heard our demo, he was like, if you guys can can make it to California, I'll make sure you get a deal. And so it was our responsibility to make sure that we got to California. Caden's dad brought him a, a Volkswagen. 68. <laughs> My dad, um, you know, ended up giving us money uh, to help us go. And they scooted us on and said, hey, go look for it. Go get it. Wow, how old were you guys at that time? I was nineteen. I was twenty. Caleb, yes, he was I, on. He probably don't want to tell you because he was on up I there. 20, now. I was twenty-three. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you also you did some work uh, or played some shows with Leon Russell that the Wilson Most brothers definitely. were part of too. Right. Most definitely, that was that was those were younger days of, of myself when um, Delian had the three girls backing him up. Well, one of the girls had a problem when she she missed some nights and do that. Well, they invited me in for a couple of shows where I had to sing with them, and play with them, and uh, that was my experience with Leon, Leon Russell and Charlie. Lewis. As well. That's how he first met him. Yeah, I met him too. I met Leon through Charlie. 
Charles and Leon. And at the same time, we all met. Two of what, what was Leon Russell like? Uh, he has stories. Oh my God, he has no, he's, stories. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a gentleman. He's like an older gentleman. That's what he's like. He, he's always thinking and being very, I don't know. I, I, people probably say the same thing about us, but now acting odd, you know, like you you might have the biggest story of the night. It would mean just nothing. Just you know, to him, he would okay. Let's play the piano over here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, something just like thinking, that. Uh, just thinking, he thought somewhere odd. else. But Caven has stories with he and Joe Cocker. Uh, which was an I, I always kind of got a little jealous of the fact that he was able to hang out with both of them that was, in his younger days. That and that was before Yarbrough and Peoples. That was before uh, we even came together and put a band together. That was before all of that. Worked a lot with them around the Jamaica Sea Wheel album that we put out. We stayed there at the Thing. It was supposed to be writing every day, but it didn't happen. Joe would be laying out in the middle of the floor before we got down halfway to rehearsal. So, but he was just odd like that. <laughs> I mean, just Leon Russell, I know him best from, of course, his hits, but also Mad Dogs and Englishmen uh, movie wow. with also, also Joe Cocker, of course. Yeah. Um, but he seemed like a kind of eclectic, eccentric kind of character. Yeah, exactly. And the Wilson brothers, you know, what could you tell the people about those guys? Wow. We love all three of them. Charlie, Ronnie, Robert. Rob, Ronnie was... That was definitely three different personalities. Yeah, Ronnie was, <laughs> Ronnie was sort of the serious... More serious, yeah. He was the older brother, his kind older of. Brother. Making sure that his younger brothers were good as far as, you know, what was going on in the studios and what was going on. Um, Preaching about the business. Yeah. And then Robert. He was the youngest, and he was like a little sprite, you know? Um, Look for something to happen with Robert. <laughs> Robert kept everything <laughs> exciting, for sure. Uh, he made it to where everybody had something to laugh about every day. Uh, that was Robert saying. Charlie, Charlie was elusive. He was he liked being an enigma uh, to where people would look at him and say, "Now nah, I just wonder," you know, about him. I, to me, that was what his big thing was. He he, he just that with other people. Cause I didn't have it. It was like he and I were. Hey, gave me. Well, us, I'm talking about other people. You know, I'm just that, you know what I'm saying? We yeah. never had that kind of thing. He was always. Uh, Charlie Boy. Charlie, you know. Charlie Ray. Charlie, you know, he was always a good guy. 
So uh, we had pet names. We would call each other pet names and stuff. You know, we spent a lot of time in the studio together. And then a lot of times Lonnie had us living near one another. So all of his artists were right there yeah, uh, when needed. Lonnie Simmons did. And so we ended up spending a lot of time with Robert and, and, uh, and Charlie, Robert and Charlie. Ronnie had always had, he was older. He always had his own house. He always had his own everything. But uh, Charlie and Robert were more around us more. So when the uh, Wilson brothers made that transition, though, from Leon Russell to, you know, their own band, and they hit it like they did, before you guys did um yeah. were you surprised at all or you know how'd you feel about that when they started hitting the big time be before you I've guys did? Always, we i've we performed gap band stuff in our shows before they did from their old albums you know count on me and songs like that that charlie used to sing we used to perform them we were the big clubs. fans we were uh, big, already big fans yeah when they got with lonnie the total experience that was big. And at that point, we were just putting together, you know, getting together our band yeah. and starting to perform in clubs here in Dallas and starting to get, you know, known for singing here. Yeah. It, and it didn't happen overnight. It was some, it was some uh, boys coaching and a bunch of other little stuff that had to be corrected inside of the guy who was handling him inside his head before he could even move on further. But we knew as as the songs were coming out, because half of the band was our band. <laughs> and uh, at the total experience, you shared everything. Yeah. And we did backgrounds. We did the backgrounds for Charlie Wilson and them uh, for the Gap Band. The Gap Band did background for us. We wrote and did uh, stuff with Penny Ford. Um, all of the, basically, all the artists supported each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at the credits for your first record, you know, there's a lot of familiar names on there, like, uh, mm. you know, Sugarfoot, Moffat, and. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Raymond Calhoun and um, oh yeah, uh, Jim Gilstrap, and, and who's Wilson. been on the show. Uh, Calhoun's been on the show too. Um, yeah, a lot of these cats, you know, uh, Da Costa and percussion. Oh my God, uh, Polina! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so and we did background for it, like like it was back and forth. We did they did songs with us, and we would turn around and do like background. That's us on outstanding and those songs like that as well. And humping. Uh, humping. Th there's a story also about uh, that Caven's car. Yeah, uh, Burn Rubber. The, that's that's at the beginning of that. That's my... Britain, 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 That's that same Volkswagen that we, yeah, we, uh, rode, to we rode to California in. <laughs> wow. Burning rubber in a Volkswagen. Awesome. Once I got to California, I kind of... You had got, a Porsche engine. Got kind of suited up. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it gave that sound, and it, and it did that burn rubber sound really, really good. So Lonnie used it on on that song. Wow. Kate also did the, the like, uh, you dropped the bomb on me, the whistles and all those all things the trains, that you hear, the, whistles the trains, the like party that. train. That's Kate then. 
Yes. <laughs> That's something. Yeah. What, uh, what what did you guys envision for yourselves when you first came out as your own act and you were recording that first album? Was there somebody that you sort of emulated or you thought we kind of want uh, we kind of want to be like them or we've we we we've always been different similar but different and so we kind of st- stuck with the little there was something about when Caven and Lewis say it was different it was it was magical it was different anointed I'll just go ahead and say mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh no, uh, no matter what we were singing, you know, and the audience that we had, we'd we'd always hold them, you know, keep them in our hands. Um, uh, one of the one of the uh, groups though that Lonnie kind of kept us in front of when we were when we first got up there, he would take us to see different acts um, yeah. and say, "Hey, look at look at how they're doing things and blah blah blah," you know, sort of improve our. Um, our shows and you know give us some insight and and one of those that we kind of took up with and they kind of took up with us was Ashford and Simpson mm-hmm. and um, so even now and, and, Valerie and Norman and, and Connors you know close to me and yeah Connor yeah. yeah so yeah there were there were a couple that that actually you know took a little time with us. You know, but they really didn't change ch- change where we where we were headed, and uh, so it, it it you had the, back to your question you asked is somebody we sort of patterned ourselves after, and they would have been so far in the past of it like a Donnie. Donnie and Roberta Flag, Donnie Flag. Hathaway, Roberta Flag, Marvin and Tammy. Ma- yeah, uh, would have been. Those are people that we heard and said, and we would sing their songs, and it would feel good when we would sing their songs. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. So w- when you're in the studio and laying these tracks down, you know, um, how would you feel about "Don't Stop the Music" at that point? You know, did you feel it in the studio? What was that like? I'm going to tell you something that I don't, haven't told very many people, but I'm, I'm, I'm soon to in the book. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> he thought, he, Kevin was like, everybody's going to think that's the only way I can sing. <laughs> I hated it. And, and, <laughs> and as it worked on, Lord knows he worked on it for a year and a half. Listen, so, and, and it was a, brought to us as a song called When the Music Stops. And it was like a ballad. Uh, when yeah, the music stops, let me take you home and turn it on again. And that was what Jonah Ellis brought to us. Uh, Lonnie Simmons told me and Caden to go in a room. Y'all write some, some, some more lyrics for this because the music should not have to stop. We're going to speed this uh, up a little bit. We're going to speed it up a little bit and I'm going to bring in some some more musicians and uh, let's make this thing into a dance song. It, no problem. The words just roll down. We we wrote the we wrote the words together. And, and they rolled out and, and it was as it is today or yeah. what it is today and 
And okay. uh, well, then you then he brought in Polina da Costa. He he brought in brought in uh, 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 what's that boy? Louis Cabaza. Oh my God! He brought in Louis Cabaza, and we got that bouncy baseline and uh, that that clavinet sound. You can, you can hear Louis Cabaza on Gap and. And YMP, because once he got in there, Lonnie was that like, was this sound. is a part of our sound now. And uh, once he got those, those, I think all that energy together, uh, and then as far as the vocals are concerned, you had me and Caven and Charlie Wilson and, and the Waters sisters, and, uh, Maxine and Julia. And but it, they had all kind of vocals. They had Gus. Oliver Scott. Oliver Scott. Uh, uh, that's the guy that wrote Journey yeah. for the Gap Band. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we I can't we can't, oh, I can't Jim Gilstrap was on there too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you had all these 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 amazing energies together, and I think that that's what made the song what it was. All of this awesome energy. That was it bottled up in one song. A lot of the magic came from the different people that came together. Yes. You know, and uh, Melvin Bigfoot Web. He'd come to play record with us sometime. All he wanted was a cheeseburger. Yeah, just make sure I got my cheeseburger. <laughs> so it it was a lot of fun. Um <laughs> we didn't know we didn't know we were broke. Um we were having too much fun and and things were getting paid for and we were and we had somewhere to live, and we had food, and oh, we didn't, you know, we didn't know we, we were stayed out on the road so much that we didn't didn't have anywhere. No, well, because we were gone. Because we were gone, and uh, we would have to stay in a hotel. But uh, it that period, I, when I think of that period, I think of folks who asked me, well, "How did you feel when they told you it was number one?" We didn't know what to feel. <laughs> we didn't know what to feel. I never had a number one before. Yeah, we didn't uh, know what to feel. Well, how how do you how how do you feel? Breaking it down more simply, how do you feel when you first heard yourselves on the radio? Ooh, oh, we were we elate. I mean, we acted a pure fool. Yeah, because we, if you streets. remember, we were we were walking. You actually walked out and out of the total experience, and somebody was driving by. And it was on their radio. Yeah. And he he just stopped and he said, "Wait a minute, that's our song." And we were just outside the Total, total Experience uh, recording facility, and we just oh, we rejoiced he, all. He's a low rider, so he blasted. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah. So. You went out and toured uh, on the first record, right? Who were some of the folks that you yes. were uh, build up with? Cool in the gang. Uh, it's Steve Arrington. Steve Arrington. Uh, of course, the it started out being with other people headlining, and uh, us yeah, us opening and the Gap game. Band being in like the the it was cool in the gang guest position. Gap Band, yeah. yeah. So, and then we we added the girls in. The sled, sister sledge, yeah, and then Carl Carlton, um, uh, and then uh, the funk guys from now come function and all of those guys. Uh, 
Zap, um, Evelyn Champagne King. Uh, it just it, all these people were being added in, and then e eventually, as the Gap Band and Yarborough and people started getting more and more popular, uh, the Total Experience started its own tour, which was the Gap Band, Yarborough and Peoples, and Goody. Mm -hmm. And we stayed out for a long time. Yeah, um, like about ninety-nine yeah. dates. Wow. Now, the album was called The Two of Us, and I was just curious because it was the same year that Grover Washington and Bill Withers hit it with Just the Two of Us. Right. We, he, we had ours first. <laughs> we wrote that song, The Two of Us, in Dallas, Texas, in and in and, and his sister's living room. And um, I think I was probably about maybe 17, and Caven was about 20, 25, something like that. <laughs> you keep getting older every time we talk about it. Every time, man. <laughs> <laughs> but we wrote it back then, and it was such an amazing thing. That and the song Crazy and Come to Me were all three songs that we wrote in Dallas before we even knew we were going to have a record deal. As a matter of fact, they were on our demo. And uh, then to be able to come to California and actually record them was and an, it was an amazing thing for us. Yeah, never, that's... never in a million years did we think um, we would be able to put those songs on, on an album. No, it would ever an album would ever happen. We were trying for it. Well, you must have been spent a lot of time doing shows and all that because the next record didn't come out till '83. It took a little bit of time. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And we did after a lot don't of stop, television shows. Don't too. Stop the Music lasted a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Then, then we could sort of see where it was going because it, it, was, it was a big record for the company. They didn't know what to do. I was they getting ready to say Lonnie and them didn't know what to do. They didn't know that. what to do. They were like, they oh, God, do what do we do now? They did not expect it to be as big as it was. It surprised them. And uh, so after that, it was like he was scrambling for what are we going to do next? Um, how are we going to get it next? What are we going to do next? Never that was kind of Kind of ironic, don't stop the music, but you guys did kind of stop the music for a little bit till you came back with yeah. the next record. <laughs> we went back to when the music stops, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh so then when you finally went in and did that second record, Heartbeats, you know, what was that experience like compared to the first time? Well, it was a little different because now we're realizing something is supposed to be happening now. We're supposed to be getting paid something, aren't we? Uh, so the, 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 the atmosphere was not quite the same uh, in those latter, you know, in the, in the subsequent recordings um, because our, we were growing older, we were growing up more and we were understanding that something was not right. And it was the video age. You didn't have a video out. You were doing the heartbeats, and I think our video concept was a little 
Yeah. On that record, I noticed looking at the people involved, um, again, again, from the Gap Band, you had Don Silva and Val Young doing some backing vocals on there. Um, how'd you feel, uh, Victor Orlando on percussion? How'd you feel about, um, you know, the uh, tracks uh, and how it turned out, you know, that project? Uh, Victor Orlando was a, a classmate of mine. <laughs> we, we'd known him since we've we were young as since. well. Uh, Dawn Silva and, and Val, we, um, it was a great thing to be able to use them because they were so, they already knew uh, the business. They already knew how to perform. And it was, they would come in and just say, yeah, yeah. And, and they'd have it like, just like that. So that was a joy. And I was the only female on the label at the time. So it was really a joy for me to just have two other women around me and not so many hard heads, you know? And and and, and at, a, at a time we needed Victor, he was hot. Oh, yeah, Victor yeah. Orlando. Yeah, he, was, he would throw that hair he was hot. while he was playing those percussions, yeah. and those boy, those girls would go and, crazy. And so we wanted the stage to be moving and stuff. So he did a little time. Yeah, he did. That was Sports. fantastic. Um, the tracks that we did, he allowed us. Lonnie allowed us to use a little bit more of the songs that we wrote. <laughs> I like feel so good and all of those. It felt better. And for us, it felt better, but he didn't put, um, because it was more our pr production, he didn't put as much money behind those um, those records. Again, uh, the the atmosphere was changing. Hmm. Yeah, feel so good was a... Uh... A really good follow-up to Don't Stop. I mean, it was kind of in a similar vein, you know. Uh, yeah. Yes, we love it. Um, maybe even a little funkier than Don't Stop, you know. We may be doing, we may be redoing that again. Uh, we had someone call us about it and uh, talk to us about releasing it in Europe. Yeah. And uh, so you may get to hear that. So one you may again. get to hear that. It feels so good. Remixed, Re <laughs> recut. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, and then the title track uh, that got top ten. That was a real driving, you know, kind of dance track. Absolutely, absolute, absolute heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time I see your face, that was such. Of course, a <laughs> of course I'm gonna tell you, my producer was. Stuck on police. Everything that they do, he do. So that was his version of like a police thing from R&B side. I guess that that's why I always saw it, you know, because uh, that was his concept of you know. Every time I see you, <laughs> I get hard and happy. No, that's that's him. That was his moment. That's his. That was his moment. Just like the Gap Band's early in the morning, where he's going, okay. He just had one or two lines on the songs, and he that was good it, for him. And it was, and it was his money spent for the uh, instrument. What was the the instrument that uh, uh, 
anyway, and the player that played it was the uh, Saint Clavier. Saint Clavier. Uh, all those weird sounds on the on the that was, yeah, Lonnie was yeah. really, really he was really big on those weird sounds at that point. Hey, you, you both played keyboards, right? Yeah. Yes. So how how would you decide who did what, or or is one of you more adept in a certain it, uh, keyboard than the other? That's a that's some kind of a musical thing with us. We we are leaders, but we're just as big as soldiers as we are leaders. With that, so if you came up with a solo and it was grooving, uh, you came up with a part that was. Then you had the right to take the lead of it. I, I'm more well, of a melody player too, and Caven is more of a funk player, more of a um, chord around it. Yeah, know. and and he also knows how to do a lot of uh, different instrumentation sounds, horns, and, and and all that kind of stuff. I'm more of a. I like to play. I love the baby grand piano. You know, I love to just sit down and play. I play a B3 organ as well, but. I love the piano sound. Caven took puts everything around. It's like um, if I if we're doing a ballad and I lay the the foundation of the the, the pads, Caven is going to come back and put all that other stuff around it that that makes it into a song. So we work perfectly together, especially when we're creating. Yeah, such it's a not- team. Team effort with you guys, you know, with the, the vocals, the keys, the writing. We 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 fight though. <laughs> we we have an argument. I don't do the vocal like this. No, I want you to sing it in this key. Sing it up like you're All right, I'll try. But we come to that's creative difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know we're gonna eventually come to it. But- <laughs> We just gotta go through and each one try their power. Yeah, and, and 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 you end up coming. The funny thing is, you end up finding out that you're saying the same stuff. You're just saying it differently. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. the next record, "Be a Winner," you came back within a year for that one, so you weren't yeah. gonna mess around, I guess, this time, right? My brother Troy brought us "Be a Winner." And he was like, I got this, he kept saying, I got this song, I got this song, I got this song. And he, of course, he's the, the youngest in the family, but he has this thing about playing these bass riffs. And he came up with that bass riff, and then me and Caven got in there with him, and we made a song. It was, it was, it was a good time for it, but without the promotion, you wouldn't know because it was... The Olympics were in California. Uh, again, Lonnie didn't produce it, so Lonnie wasn't going to yeah, put a whole lot Olympics of money behind it. The Olympics were in California at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. I remember that. This even, one, your Purple Rain came out. I was living there in LA. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. They had that, um, well, that thing during the Olympics in Westwood. But yeah, I remember all yes. that. Yeah. Yes. So this, this, none of that was promoted to where it, it could have really. I think that could have been a really big record had he promoted it like he should have. Well, it fell right in line with that, you know, line of uh, "Don't Stop" and um, "Heartbeats," and then that one. You know, I mean, it was the trilogy right there, kind of 
we had a, we had a lot of songs that that I guess were left in the editing room that we had done, which would, would totally made some of the later albums that we had more. Uh, Y'all run people to feel friendly rather than the visiting writer, our producer, John Ellis, and all the influences that. John used to play with guitar with the Temptations. He's pretty good. He's yeah. pretty good. He, he, he had a thought this way. Well, so I was, my complaint was let's go. This way, not just this way. And uh, I was a troublemaker. That's what they're going to say about me. I was, if Kevin needs a trouble, he wants to start, he wants to do. See, I mean, I, I was into hip hop long before hip hop came out. And, uh, it was just something I liked, you know, about the beat and the different things, the kooky sounds that they used to make with it. And me being a guy with noise and effects and stuff, I liked it. And the kids used to run, man, that's that's beat, that's a beat right there. No, let me have that beat. No, let me have that. I saw stuff thinking, I said, hmm, that's where it's going. That's where it's going. So I, for a while, I got into doing a lot of beats, pop stuff, even even uh, soundtracks. Not very proud of. Well, this album we were just talking about, Be a Winner, eighty was 1984. That's the same year, I think, that Herbie Hancock did Rocket. Yes. Um, were you a fan of uh, Herbie's? Yes. Like I, like I am a huge yeah. fan. We at the time we lived next door to George Duke. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and uh, that's when uh, George Duke, Chick Corea, and uh, Harry Hancock. That's when they were. That was their, their one of their heydays. That's when I came through that. But most definitely, Herbie was my man, and. Yeah. Uh, What's his name? Uh, played with the Jazz Crusaders. Joe Sample. Joe Sample. So, yeah. We so, just uh, talked. Yeah, we're just talking about hip hop and other cool things. Um, so just to wrap up on um, the Winter album, though. Um, yeah, Be a Winner got to 20. Should have done better, probably. Um, you know? Um what can you say about uh, Lonnie Simmons in terms of, you know, um, I understand there's maybe some mixed feelings, but, um, you know, what, how would you categorize, uh, characterize him as a, as a music person, uh, aside from the business? Did he really bring much to the music itself or was he all about the business? It, Lonnie was an amazing Lonnie was producer. An amazing producer. He really was. He had just, just feelings. He just had feelings about things. Just put that little thing in there. It's gonna make people 
If you put that little thing in there, it's going to make them, every time they hear this song, they're going to be looking for that one little thing. Yeah. And it'll be something was, you wouldn't have yeah, never. It was, was that kind of guy. You know, but Lonnie, musically. But Lonnie, in my, in my humble opinion, hmm. um, he never focused enough on what was fair for the artist um, especially monetarily. Uh, he never focused on the fairness of what should have been done for not just us, but any of his artists. And um, that was for me. I mean, I love him because he gave us our first chance. That was a deal breaker. I, I love him because um, he believed in us. Um, I love him for all of those things. But he also hurt us because he held us for so long um, and wouldn't let us go and would not pay us. So I think that overall that hurt us in the industry. Made it, bad decisions yeah. with some things. Well, endless love type. Mm -hmm. was, he, was he also your manager too? He had Don Alexander as our manager, but Don was also with the... Um, the with, his company, with his company. Found out. So it was... Uh, Either way it goes, Lonnie was giving the uh, orders. He was <laughs> he was running the show on all aspects of it, on every phase of what was going on. Lonnie was running the show. Well, despite that all, I mean, in that song, Only Going to 20, the album went to six, which was your second most successful album chart-wise. Yes. You know, you know um, and then even the final one, Guilty, two years later, got to 13, pretty darn good. And uh, you had a number two hit, you know, the title track. Yes. And and this 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 was without no without not, him this really was, pushing without it. Without him pushing it. Yeah. This was minimum dollar. This was the people uh really loving us. And I mean I, I thank the Lord for that, that they they loved us that much. There's much more to this great truth and rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinslift.net. Thank you very much.